Amen. That was definitely, I, I don't know about you guys, that heart moves, or that song moves my heart on just so many different levels. I think the biggest one, knowing God's kingdom, and looking at our lives before we become Christians, just the hope that's promised on so many different fronts. Um, side note, someone's missing Honda keys, see me after service. I don't want you stressing out about it if you're out there, you know, be able to uh, kind of enjoy the rest of our fellowship here together this morning. You know, when it comes to the kingdom, uh, it is really incredible how God repairs lives, puts lives back together, gives us hope in a world where hope is something that's very fleeting at, at best. We had the uh, opportunity yesterday, um, I think most of you are familiar with Reese and Mary Kay Nealon, uh, their oldest son, Robbie. Uh, we got married yesterday to a young lady by the name of Angela Bird, and uh, it was just so incredible to see even how lives pass can intersect and then depart, and uh, the thing that, that really kind of encapsulated it for me is there's this picture of the two of them at the ocean uh, at the ages of six and seven. And then their lives obviously went in separate directions, but they reconnected here recently and just to see, again, the hope that God promises, the way God takes care of us. And if we're willing, in light of the series this month, when it comes to the questions we ask, with those questions, if we're willing to respond sometimes to the answers, it's amazing how God can ultimately work. As we can see here, questions we ask is our sermon series. Last week, Brian did his on... Uh, the question, what should we do? And really one of the primary things that came out of that was the need for humility in our lives. And uh, I had a little bit of that served up yesterday. We'll, we'll talk about that in a few minutes here. Uh, this week's question again is, can someone explain this to me in light of the Ethiopian eunuch and a passage in the book of Isaiah that he was reading and you know, the fact that there just happened to be somebody that showed up on the, on the scene that was able to convey to him what was going on in that passage. You know, one of the things I love about the book of Acts is that, again, it's a book of hope. I mean, there are so many incredible salvation stories that take place from all walks of life, all cultures, uh, just so many different things, different religious backgrounds, and how God saves people, how families come to the Lord, how individuals are saved, how villages are saved, how cities are saved. And then again, there's this, this account that we have in the book of Acts where, an angel comes to a deacon by the name of Philip and sends him to uh, go meet some guy out in the middle of the desert somewhere who's from Ethiopia. You know, when it, when it comes right down to that, let's go ahead and uh, start in uh, the book of Acts here in chapter 26 of chapter 8. It says, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. And on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The Spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked. The response from the Ethiopian eunuch was, how can I unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. You know, I think when it comes down to this question, why would the Ethiopian ask this question? How can I understand, unless someone explains it to me? You know, it's interesting. We've got a man that 
travel some distance, and we'll, we'll talk about it in a little bit more detail as well, but he went to Jerusalem to worship. He obviously, there was some degree of spirituality. He knew of God, yet there was this question that he had. And you know, I think some of us can have that same type of question, and it can be a matter of maybe not having yet become a Christian, and there may be concerns or questions there about what that means. What's the degree of commitment that's involved? Uh, what am I going to have to change in my life? And most of us aren't, I don't know about you, I'm not usually super excited about change, especially when it comes to moves. But I think just looking at that, and I, I think with that, there was a deeper understanding that he knew was there, but that he didn't quite grasp. He didn't quite understand. You know, he knew it was more than just reading the Word. I mean, here you got a guy that obviously was very privileged, and that he had the scroll of Isaiah. I mean, that wasn't something that was commonplace for people to be, you know, cruising around in their chariots with. Um, you know, it would have been like, uh, what's an example here? Bill Jobs with the, uh, or Bill Gates, you know, on the, on the forefront of a computer or something he's working on, or a new phone, or uh, cruising around with a prototype. I mean, this guy early on has this scroll. But he knew there was more. He didn't really connect on the level that he wanted to. He wanted to make sure that he had a right relationship with God. And I think it's more than the question itself. It's ultimately, what's behind that question? What's the heart behind the question? What's the spirit behind the question? And I think that's the thing that I really want to capture for myself as I move forward as a Christian. And I hope that's the same thing that each of us wants to have as we move forward in a relationship with God, is that we have the right heart and the spirit in light of what God calls us to. Amen? You know, if we're going to be champions for Christ, we need that same heart and spirit of the Ethiopian. With that, I'd like to uh, go ahead and open up with a word of prayer. Father, uh, I just feel so blessed to be a part of your kingdom. And again, just uh, listening and singing the song, Great Among the Nations. Uh, just having the opportunity to be a part of your kingdom. Uh, to be able to have an opportunity to have a real purpose in life. To live a life of impact, a life of meaning. And with that meaning, just having the opportunity to have a real relationship with you. Father, thank you for the way that you speak to us through your word. Thank you for the, the men and women that our lives intertwine with through the years, and especially as Christians, knowing that as Christians we have a, a means of guidance, a means of hope, a means of explanation that is so lacking, by and large, in this world. Even relationships that there's depth to, uh, relationships where we can be real and vulnerable with one another and I just share thoughts and fears and uh, knowing that uh, because of those relationships, because of your word and because of the example of Jesus Christ, there is hope. As Matt talked about this morning, we have the ability to grow and mature and we can face each day knowing that we have the opportunity to draw closer to you and to also draw others closer to you as well. Father, I love you and I thank you for this time. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, the thing that's really uh, kind of wild about this, having had the opportunity to do some research about uh, Ethiopia in general during basically the first century and even going back thousands of years, there were some aspects of it that I, I wasn't aware of. I always viewed the uh, Ethiopian eunuch as uh, having been brought, proselytized. Somebody had met him and brought him to the faith. But you may or may not know this, that Ethiopia at this time was a Jewish nation. And it's, it's rather interesting, the capital of Ethiopia at the time was a place by the name of Oxum, which, uh, going back to actually uh, King Solomon, well, there's a few other details there that are kind of interesting, but 
Oxum today has a church where it's called uh, St. Mary's Church. You know, there's this whole thing of the uh, Ark of the Covenant. Well, Indiana Jones didn't do a very good job in that one of the places he probably should have checked was in Ethiopia. Ethiopia, there's accounts in Ethiopia that state that there's a, uh, a king by the name of Melanic I, who was the offspring of Sheba and Solomon. And we know the Queen of Sheba went to visit Solomon because of his wealth and his wisdom. And uh, there's a book, actually, uh, an Ethiopian holy book by the name of Kibra Nagasi, which explains that the Ethiopians were descendants of an Israelite tribe who came to Ethiopia. That tribe, no archaeological evidence, but there are a number of stories. You know, we know that back at that time, basically the way history was moved forward was with the verbal word. For memorization, that was the case with Scripture. So we have this story of this king who, at the age of 22, went and visited his dad in Jerusalem. There was a little bit of confusion. They looked very much the same, and Solomon's advisors told him, you know, you need to, you need to send him packing because we're confusing the two of you. So with that, Solomon set him up with uh, a number of uh, priests from that port part of town, sent these priests with him, and one of the priests told uh, Solomon, or told Melanich, you know what, we know that, that God resides with the Israelites because of the ark, you just need to snag the ark and take that on home with you. So anyways, it's just, it was interesting for me to know that there was this incredible number of Jews that actually lived in Ethiopia at that time. So, you know, kind of fast-forwarding to the first century, it's interesting, the Ethiopian Jews were called Beta Israel Jews. From that, we have the Falashamura Jews who, in 1947, when Israel was set up as this state for Jews to go back to, there were 133,000 Jews that immigrated from Ethiopia to Israel. So just kind of a little bit of background, kind of, I thought it was kind of interesting. You know, and with that, obviously the Ethiopian eunuch more than likely wasn't a convert to Judaism, but was actually born a Jew. So kind of moving forward here, as we uh, look at our Ethiopian eunuch here in uh, Philip, in Acts uh, 8, in verses 5 through 12, Philip, who had received direction from God, had been involved in an incredible revival, this awesome ministry in Samaria where demons were being cast out, families were being converted, a lot of people were coming to the faith, sick were being cured, and you know, this was big news, it was heard back in Jerusalem, so much so that John and Peter were sent to go check it out. Now, Philip the deacon from Acts 6, we, we know that he was appointed as a deacon, it's just awesome for me to see this guy make this transition from a role of service to really a champion for God. Um, you know, we're kind of in the uh, football season here, uh, I'm sure a lot of you have your uh, championship teams that... Uh, you know, you embrace and watch and uh, root for. We had a number of champions a weekend ago at our uh, Ironman event. I'm telling you, one of them, you know, I, I'm, I'm fortunate. I don't think I've struggled with any attitudes at all. But um, we did have that, that wonderful tractor tying cra- cricket crunch event that we were participating in. And, uh, you know, I knew I had a pretty good lead on Brian Hood there at one point. I, I, I got there... You know, I've heard various lengths of head of him. But this guy is the stinking human vacuum cleaner. I mean, you know, I don't know how, how long he practiced. He knew maybe we were going to be eating stuff. I don't know if he went down to the local pet store and hooked himself up with some crickets or what. But 
I mean, I saw the video of this guy. I'm sitting here, I got my crickets, I'm struggling to get things out of the bag. I end up pushing the bag into my mouth, try scraping them out with my teeth. He just grabs the bag and he's like, You're a champion, my brother. But you know, when we think of anyone who's achieved great success in any sport, you know, especially those that are considered champions, I mean, ultimately, aren't there a lot of different pitchers that come to mind? You know, they tend to be, uh, you know, a pretty decent physical specimen, especially when we're looking at football players, wrestlers, the like. Uh, physically fit, well-rounded individual. And, you know, I would venture to guess most of us realize that champions aren't born, they're made. Amen? We in agreement on that. I mean, you look to the Olympics, the amount of time and energy that goes into the training is, for me, it's just mind-boggling. So it's not in their DNA or gene pool that, that makes them achieve, but ultimately it's through discipline, training, practice, and devotion. You know, that's what I love about being Christians. We're champions as followers of God. But, you know, when it comes to that, it's the same thing when we look at our, our physical aspects of excelling. We need to make sure that we're doing the same thing when it comes to our spiritual, the spiritual realm that we're a part of as well. And, you know, we're champions and followers of God, but, you know, as champions, if you're a champion you don't show up game day, what's going to end up happening to your record? You're not going to be doing real well. And I think for, for us personally, we need to make sure that as Christians, we're available come game day. We have to be available you know, if we're going to have the spirit of the Ethiopian eunuch, we, must, we really need to understand that we have to make ourselves available to God. And that's what I loved about the heart of the Ethiopian eunuch, as well as Philip. They both were available to God. You know, again, just a, a couple verses there in Acts 26. Philip was called. He had this incredible ministry that he was part of in Samaria. And what was his response? Man, it's awesome here. I love it. I mean, we're cranking. People are being baptized. People are being healed. My family keeps growing. And then this angel shows up, and he's like, hey, dude, I want you to go south to uh, the desert road, Gaza. You know, there's this guy. I, want. I mean, he's got this full-blown ministry, and this angel pops up on the scene. And he's like, hey, i got this one guy I want you to go talk to. Yeah, I, I, think about that. How motivated would you be? Friends, family, people that love you, that are excited about the impact that you've had in their lives, and all of a sudden it's, uh, you need to leave this incredible town and go find this little strip in the Gaza which we see here, says, go south of the road, the desert road that goes from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out on his way. He met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home was sitting in the chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet. Two individuals, both individuals available. Philip gets the calling. What does he do? He goes. The Ethiopian eunuch, how was he available? He was open to God. I mean, he made this trek. I, I, it took me forever to make this. I went on Google for whatever reason, information on Google Maps, stuff wasn't available. I went to Bing and ended up having to actually find the actual coordinates of Jerusalem as well as Aksum in Ethiopia. And eventually was able to map it all out because, you know, in the commentaries, they're like, oh, it was about seven, 800 miles from Ethiopia to Jerusalem. Or you'll see 1,000 miles or 1,200 miles or whatever. The way this maps out is we've got from A, up there at the top where the Ethiopian eunuch started on his way back home, down to Oxum in Ethiopia. It's 1,947 miles. 
And, you know, these are the, the route that I've got there was relatively consistent with the trade route they had back in the day. So you can see all the way along the Red Sea there, up there to the Gaza Strip, and then Jerusalem up at the top. I, I can't even begin to imagine doing that in a chariot. I mean, my daughter, I drove her to and from Florida on two different occasions. And I, I don't know exactly what the mileage is there. I think it's somewhere in the high 2000s. But, you know, we made the trip on the way back in 46 hours. We kind of chased Gustav through Louisiana. I don't know why the highway patrol told us the 10 was open. Um, you know, there were, there were points in time where we had to drop down about 15, 20 miles an hour because the rain was so heavy we couldn't see, or there were tree branches across the freeway, and we never saw headlights or taillights for basically the whole stretch of Louisiana. No light. Yeah, no lights. The entire state was out. Thank God she had a car that got some decent gas mileage and that, uh, needless to say, gas stations can't pump when there's no electricity. So, uh, but again, in a chariot? In the middle of the desert! I mean, that just blows my mind. That's how available this guy was. This is the extreme that he was willing to go to, to have a relationship with God. So, you know, we got our Ethiopian eunuch up here. Sitting in his chariot, it probably wasn't like, you know, I always thought it was kind of like the Ben-Hur thing, you know, with a, you got the one guy and a few horses and the, the reins or gladiator, for those of you that are younger that don't know who the heck Ben-Hur is. But, you know, he, he, being that he was an important official, he more than likely had an entourage with him. Now, for him to be reading, they had to be going at a slow pace. And then I've got the, uh, I actually have, there's a website, it's on my Facebook page, you can go to where you can, the, uh, uh, Dead Sea Scrolls, the book of Isaiah was found in its entirety, which is absolutely blow away. And on the website, it's just like this. It's a scroll. You start at the beginning, and the scroll unwinds. You can see the first couple of chapters there are a few issues with, but as you got in further into the scroll, it's completely intact. So, and, you know, again, side note, it's really cool. You go there, you click on, you can highlight the verse if you don't read Hebrew. Not a worry. It converts it to uh, English for you. Really, really cool website. But anyway, so he's cruising along with his entourage, and he's got his little scroll, and he's reading out loud, and the reason more than likely for that was, if you get on there and you take a look at the scroll, man, the words look like they run together. I don't even know how you would keep your place very well. But it's just amazing the way God works. Philip's available, Ethiopian's available, they meet, and just this incredible outcome takes place. You know, I think really understanding that being available is not the same thing as being able or capable. I think one of the most common misconceptions about serving God is that we can't because we lack the ability. You know, uh, it's one of the things that I appreciate about really what's going on here in the church in coastal L.A. too, in that most of us have the ability to serve, and more and more people are being involved on that level. we got this group of men and women up here who uh, were down putting together food and such for distribution to the homeless and it's just awesome to know that not only are they available, or not only are they capable or able, but they are available. we got so many of you that are participating on this level now, which I think is incredibly awesome. You know, we, we know in the Bible that a lot of people had a lot of different skills, and in a lot of instances they didn't even really think they had. One of my favorites is Moses. He was a prime example of how not to respond to God. And that we know in, in Acts, Stephen, who was martyred, for his stance as a Christian, kind of walks through some aspects of Moses that when you look at Moses' account, you might think, well, man, I mean, I thought Moses kind of made some excuses and, 
you know, uh, didn't really think that he could go head-to-head with Pharaoh so much so that God said, fine, we'll go ahead and send your brother Aaron. But we, we, we see through the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts that he was an eloquent speaker. You know, it's amazing how we kind of, we have an assessment of ourselves that ultimately when there's something we need to do, we can kind of de-assess where we're at to try and take ourselves out of the loop. You know, it, he was, Moses was brought up in an Egyptian household. He was schooled. There was incredible things that took place. But what did he do? When God called him, he tried to find a way to, to sneak on out, not to, you know, submit to what God had put forth for him. And we, we don't see that, as we said, with Philip. When God called Philip to go, he went. And I think this is what God's looking for. He's looking for that spirit, that kind of heart where we're receptive to what he has to say. You know, the thing I love about God is, it doesn't matter how many degrees we have or how many awards we have hanging on our wall. God isn't interested in our ability. You know, we don't need to impress God. Let's think about this for a minute. God must have been pretty impressed with each and every one of us, right? Why would he send Jesus Christ to die for us? God's always been impressed with us. There might be times we fall short. I know I do some stupid things and probably will continue to do some stupid things through the years. But that doesn't change the way God looks at me. Especially if I make my heart available and I realize what God wants for me personally and I'm willing to submit to to His direction. You know, God is looking. Isaiah realized that. And what what was His response to God's calling? Her I am, Lord, send me. God is speaking. Samuel said, Speak, Lord, your servant is listening. We know God is moving. Ruth said that I will go wherever you go. Now, I think we've got to ask ourselves this morning, what if Noah would have said no to building the ark? What if Moses had stuck to what he threw out there and that I'm not qualified and said no? What if David wouldn't have stood up to Goliath? What if Nehemiah hadn't had it on his heart being available to rebuild the wall? What if Jesus wouldn't have gone to the cross? I think ultimately for each and every one of us, what if the person who told you about God's saving grace would have remained silent? And what if Philip had been unavailable to God? So we need to make sure that we make ourselves available to God and that someone's eternal destiny may depend on it. You know, we look at Esther when she got challenged. If not you, then who? And then really her or Joseph, there's so many that came to the conviction, you know, and maybe for such a time as this. And just really understanding what we have, what God has given us, and what we're called to as disciples. For those of you that have yet to maybe even understand what that is, what a, what a real Christian is, like the Ethiopian eunuch, maybe the next aspect of things is the thing that you need to focus on is that as we need to be available, we also need to be teachable. You know, we must have... A teachable heart. You know, Brian talked about this last week when it comes to humility. Um, I've wanted to expand my outreach. And I've also wanted to find some form of cardio that I can enjoy. You know, as I'm getting older, the joints are starting to fall apart and having some issues. So, uh, anyways, this one was a stretch for me on multiple levels. Part of it's the attire. Um, 
you know, we get together for uh, D-Time with the Pillow Zeris uh, every week, and it's usually a matter of getting together. And, you know, Marco's there in his stretchy pants. <laughs> and I really can't make a whole lot of fun of that anymore. And that now I've got my own stretchy pants. But, you know, when it comes to the humility aspect of things, that was a biggie for me getting, getting beyond in and of itself, man. Are you kidding me? I'm trying this stuff on over a performance bike, and I'm just like, oh, my gosh, I'm going to be out in public in this stuff. So uh, yesterday was my first day out in public in that stuff on the bike. And I'd like to tell you that it went absolutely seamless from the get-go. I, I clip on the bike in our driveway. And Jackie was kind of giving me a little direction, but I, I was in a hurry to get out there and start cranking a little bit, right? So I, I clip in, and I stand up straight, and I've got, you know, this foot still in the clip, this one's out. And she says something to me, and I turned... And as I turned, I must have dipped the right shoulder, and I just kept on going. You know, needless to say, this isn't the typical mesomorph for a, a cyclist. Most guys are averaging around 150 pounds. I got another 80 on most of them. And, I mean, this was kind of intimidating for me because I knew I was going to be going over, and I'm thinking, man, 230 pounds in concrete. Um, so anyways, we, I get out, we're riding, and man, things are going good. I'm really enjoying it. You know, the wind in the face, I feel like a dog with the window rolled down, you know. The only thing, the tongue wasn't lapping out. But anyway, um, we, we got on this hill, and there were a couple guys ahead of us. And Michelle is a phenomenal teacher. I mean, she's a nurturer. She's falling back. She's giving me directions. She's checking on how the shifting's going and all the other stuff. And, you know, I see these guys ahead of me. It's like, okay, i got to go. So I, I kind of take off, and I'm feeling pretty good about myself. It was a, it was a decent hill. And um, I look back, and they're not around. And not to mention, I guess when I look back, I need to just kind of over the shoulder. Uh, I kind of turn out, and, you know, they're telling me I'm going to get clipped at some point. But anyway, pray for me. Um, so I, uh, I, I miss the turn, and they're nowhere to be seen. And so I, you know, slow down. I get ready to pull into a curb, and there's three women cyclists coming at me. And I figure, you know, they can direct me back down to wherever this fountain is in Malaga Cove or wherever the heck it is. So I unclip. I kind of slide around the curb, and I do the same thing, dip the right shoulder, look to the left, boom, right in front of them all. So uh, I guess I need to, well, you know, I, before they even had an opportunity to say anything, uh, second time today, first day out. <laughs> like, yeah, it happens. But anyway, um, you know, I, I did realize that I probably need to slow down a bit when it comes to the teachable aspect, maybe hang with the pack, and, you know, not, not get overzealous, but... I need a teachable heart. We all need teachable hearts, right? Maybe don't all need stretchy pants, but that's one other story. You know, this thing, though, I really love about Jesus is that Jesus... This is my train of thought here now, Henry. You know, when, when Jesus taught, people by the masses would gather to hear what he had to say. You know, people wanted to hear about the kingdom of God. They wanted to learn from the master teacher. You know, we need to think through this when it comes to our own personal lives. Have we become so busy with the affairs of our own lives that we no longer desire to sit at the Master's feet? You know, maybe you're not a Christian yet. You don't really understand the whole discipleship thing. And you know where that teachable heart comes from if you don't ask. I mean, what, what did the eunuch do? It was pretty simple. I mean, here you got a guy that was spiritual, that had the Scriptures, that was reading, but... He knew there was more. So we asked. And this is the thing that's so awesome about Christ's teachings. Is they're both empowering and challenging. 
You know, one of the things that I'm, I'm a little perplexed with coming into South Bay, and, you know, you guys can help me out with it if I'm wrong in this, but um, started out in the East Region years ago, and it was a very blue-collar church. We were lucky if 30, 40% of the congregation were college grads. I'm blown away by, you know, what we've got here in, the, in Coastal and in South Bay, and that 80, 85% of you guys are college graduates. One of the things I'm perplexed with, though, is when it comes to the Bible, in that I can't tell you how many times in talking about Scripture I've been told by members of the congregation, I don't like to read. And I think it is a priority issue. Um, you know, the thing that's so awesome about technology today, you don't need to read. You can listen. I mean, I'm blown away by all the audio Bibles that are out there. They're free. Back in the day when I was going after it, it was cassettes. It was 90 bucks for the Bible on tape. It was more money for the CDs, Bible on CD. You know, now it's, I don't know, MP3, MP4. I mean, there's all kinds of assortments that are free on the Internet. College degrees. Do you have to read? Probably a little bit, huh? Probably a lot. You know, and it's amazing. Even in, even in our professions, as a uh, general sales manager of multiple automobile dealerships for the years, I can't tell you how much stuff I constantly needed to read. Some of it was administrative. Some of it was accounting. Some of it was product information. And we got tested on this stuff all the time. We'll do it for a degree. We'll do it for a paycheck. We'll do it for our salvation. For those of us that are parents, there are incredible parenting books that are out there. I don't like to read. I don't know about you. I want to spend eternity in heaven with my kids. I think it's worth investing in. I think our relationship with God is worth investing in. And in part of that investment is having a teachable heart. How are we taught about God? We've got to get into the Scriptures. You know, the things that, that we value as important, it's amazing, we'll invest ourselves in a belief structure or hold to some sort of value system. And the thing that's awesome about God is if we've got a teachable heart, God will open our eyes to see the things that He sees with His eyes. I think this will be the thing that will unleash us to really have a greater impact on our com- communities. Why do I need to be teachable? Well, what does the world do to us each and every minute of each and every day? It teaches us. Media onslaught. You know, the, the news perspectives that we get. The politicians that we have. There are so many things that we're getting bombarded with on a daily basis. You know, I think that's a little challenging and can be challenging. Is once you've learned one pattern of behavior... It's hard to break the pattern that we're the most comfortable with. We've got to get comfortable with God again. We've got to get comfortable with having a teachable heart. We need the heart and the spirit like the eunuch. We need to be hungry to hear from heaven. You know, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to love as you love, Lord. Teach us to see others the way you see them. Teach us to administer hope. Teach us to be compassionate. Teach us to give of ourselves the way you gave. Teach us to forgive ourselves and others the way that you forgave us. Us. This is the heart behind the question. Can someone explain this? And then finally, we need to have a faithful heart and spirit. You know, we often think it means, uh, you know, being faithful, showing up for church on time, teaching a kid's kingdom class, showing up for a family discussion group, reading your Bible or prayer. But, you know, what does faithful really mean? 
The word faithful comes from the Greek word pistos, which means consistent, reliable, trustworthy. You know, most people know that I love football. And I do believe if the Apostle Paul was here today, he'd be a Steelers fan. Because they're champions. Now, to win a championship in football, you have to accumulate the most wins over the course of a season, right? You know, you know, winning a single game is great, but the real prize is the Super Bowl, right? And the key to being and getting there is being consistent, consistency, or faithfulness, win championships. You know, the uh, Steelers have the greatest degree of consistency when it comes to third-down conversions. The team's number one across the nation. Well, thank you, the world, yes. Now, they also have the number one quarterback when it comes to third-down conversions. The problem is there needs to be a little bit more consistency, as we saw Thursday, when it comes to other aspects of the game. Was that humble enough? Was that a little demonstration of humility there? (laughs) But, you know, when it comes to spirituality, it's no different. Faithfulness leads to spiritual success. Faithfulness is one of the nine seeds of the fruit of the Spirit. Notice I said fruit of the Spirit, singular, not fruits, plural, because they're all intertwined. Galatians 5, verse 22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faith, and self-control. These are things that, where do we find them? Again, if you've got that available heart, if you've got a teachable heart, you're going to get into the Scriptures, and these are things that are going to be a part of our life. Now, as a church, we've got to be faithful. God rewards faithfulness. It's the key to opening heaven's floodgates. Book of Hebrews, verse 11, or chapter 11, verse 6, it reads, Now, without faith, it is impossible to please God. For the one who draws near to Him must believe that He exists. And guess what? If you're faithful, it says, then He rewards those who seek Him. We've got to be faithful. God rewards faithfulness. That's the key to really getting into heaven and bringing others along with us. It's not a new concept. It's a timeless principle. But we want to receive the reward immediately. And we can believe that, you know, we get messed up in our own heads and timetables, and then we forget about what the key thing is in that relationship with God, which is being faithful. We need to be found faithful. Matthew 25 talks about a number of different levels. The guy with the talents, the sheep and the goats. And, you know, ultimately, sometimes life can be challenging. You know, and I would imagine this may have been how Philip felt, leaving his cranking gig there in Samaria to head out into the desert. You know, in this, uh, I was kind of thinking about this. I mean, I love where we're at in Redondo Beach. (laughs) I trust God. I'm faithful. Now, if I got a call to go out to the Inland Empire... I love the Inland Empire. I love my brothers and sisters in the Inland Empire. But you know what? I love Redondo Beach. <laughs> so I can, I can kind of relate to Philip here a little bit, you know? I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that was something he necessarily got excited about right out, of the, right out of the gate. But when Philip was asked in this passage to go south, he went. It's barren. It's desolate. They're hunting and knowing I've got some place like Redondo Beach to come back to. It's depressing. And, you know, and ultimately back then, those trade routes, they, they were filled with robbers. I mean, you got guys out in the middle of nowhere 
spices, you know, precious stones, precious minerals. And they were getting jumped all the time. And I, I'm sure this is something that Philip knew, but he went. You know, faithfulness is proven in the little, not in the lot. Sometimes just following simple direction is the thing that's key. And that's exactly what Philip did. It's not, a, it's not dependent about what you've got, but it is dependent upon what you do with it. And we need to allow the Lord to teach us by His Spirit to hold on to the way He wants us to be. You know, and Jesus laid this on out. He says that in order for us to inherit the kingdom of heaven, we've got to become like little children. You know, we're little children. They're humble. They're teachable. They're hungry. I mean, my, my son Stephen, I'm telling you, I'm the, the, the litany of questions with that kid. I mean, literally, I could be 50 in, and he'd have another 50 to go when it came to just asking about stuff. Now he's kind of like his old man. He's got all this innate information floating around in his head. And now instead of asking questions, he espouses with this information. But, you know, getting back to our Ethiopian eunuch in uh, Acts 8, verse 32, you know, there's these three characteristics that we need to really be going after, which are, Having an available heart and spirit. Having a teachable heart and spirit. And having a faithful heart and spirit. You know, in that passage in in Acts, it reads, The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and his lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked, Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with this very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As he traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. Why shouldn't I be baptized? And most of your Bibles, you're going to have an asterisk, and most of the time we don't get down to the footnote, but in verse 37, which is missing, it says, Philip said, If you believe with your heart, you may. And the eunuch answered, I believe that Christ is the Son of God. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. You know, we think about Philip, and we think of ourselves as individuals. We don't know how many lives that one man can touch. But we look at the situation with Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, it may very well have touched an entire nation. We see in verse 39 that the eunuch was happy, that he went on his way rejoicing. And you know, for each of us here, I would imagine we all can remember that day we were baptized. There is no thing greater or more exciting than having obeyed what God has laid on out and accepting that gift of salvation. I remember coming up out of the water. I mean, I was bouncing off the walls. I was so excited to know that I was saved, that I, my sins were forgiven, the mess that I was in the flesh before becoming a Christian, and the mess that I am still in the flesh today was taken care of with the blood of Christ. You know, we look at the, the, the eunuch. Why was he rejoicing? Well, let me put before you a possible reason for the, the eunuch's joy. Now, we know that he had the scroll of Isaiah. I think maybe he had read a couple of other chapters. You know, there's a chapter that's a few chapters after, and again, it wasn't broken up the way we've got it broken up today. It was just one onslaught of verbiage. But in Isaiah 56, verse 3, it's kind of interesting. Who's being addressed in this passage? The prophet says, Don't let foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord say, The Lord will never let me be part of his people. 
And don't let the eunuch say, I'm a dried up tree with no children and no future. For this is what the Lord says. I will bless those eunuchs who choose to do what pleases me and commit their lives to me. I will give them within the walls of my house a memorial and a name far greater than sons and daughters could give. For the name I give them is an everlasting one. It will never disappear. I will also bless the foreigners who commit themselves to the Lord, who serve Him and love His name, who worship Him and who hold fast to my covenant. I will bring them to my holy mountain of Jerusalem and will fill them with joy in my house of prayer. I think maybe that's why he made that trek of 1,900 miles. You know, as a eunuch, he couldn't even worship in the temple. In the book of Deuteronomy and Leviticus, they were banned. Sometimes it was a matter of a birth defect. In his case, it may have been because he was serving royalty that they wanted to make sure that he couldn't mess around. But here's this guy that would make that trek and couldn't even go into the temple and worship. I put before you it was maybe because of the promise in this passage of Scripture. God is amazing. Amen? So no matter who people are, foreigners or eunuchs, unbelievers or backsliders, able or disabled, Jew or Gentile, if they obeyed and made themselves available, teachable, teachable and faithful to the Savior and commit their lives to the Lord, they will never be excluded. They will never be shut out, separated, or cut off from God's salvation and promises. You know, and according to Ethiopian history and some church tradition, that very eunuch was the one that went back to Ethiopia. And it's kind of interesting. Oxum is not the capital of Ethiopia anymore, but it is where St. Mary's Church is. And they believe that that is the very foundation that used to be Jewish that Christianity went forth from throughout all of Ethiopia. I think it was this Ethiopian eunuch that brought Christianity back to his entire nation. And you know, like the eunuch, if we embrace the heart and the spirit and that faithfulness, that God talks about, we can rejoice in the Lord always. We can rejoice that our name is written forever in the book of life and experience a joy that only comes from a living life of purpose as a disciple. As someone that, again, maybe hasn't embraced that and is currently studying the Bible, make sure that your heart's available. Make sure your heart's teachable and faithful. And I think for each and every one of us here, we need to understand that one life can make a difference. So let's all ask the question as we leave here today, can someone explain this to me and get into our Bibles and our communities and make ourselves available, teachable, and faithful for God? Amen?